sorry, bud. Um, it's the Sabbath today, so you know maybe if you're still alive tomorrow, I'll come help you out. But you know the law; it's it's the Sabbath. Sorry, can't help you. Like too bad. servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory." And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. That's Matthew 12, 18 through 21. Welcome to Discipleship Conditioning. Excited as always that you're here. Today we're going to dive deep into chapter 12 in the book of Matthew. You know, I was calculating out how long this is going to take us. Uh, about 1.7 years to get through the Gospels. But, uh, you know, if you're like me, I compare myself a lot to you know, other people, which I shouldn't, of course, but, you know, they say they get through the Bible through a Bible plan of do it in a year or do it in six months. And I'm always comparing myself to that. But, you know, I really enjoy this process. I really enjoy recording this podcast on the seventh day, every Thursday and not the seventh day of the week. Uh, that's Saturday. But on Thursday, I treat that as day one of my Bible study for the next week. And so I will read whatever chapter we're in seven days in a row. And by the time I get to Wednesday and it's time to record this show, I feel like I have a decent understanding of the chapter, at least as it applies to my life. And so excited to be able to spend, you know, 20 to 30 minutes with you discussing the contents of the chapter. This chapter in particular uh, I could probably spend an hour on. There's a lot of depth here, and there's a lot of questions that I have for you, so stick around for that. Um, again, thank you for being here. Uh, we appreciate your support. We are currently building uh, Biblical Anatomy Academy to launch in January. We're going to have our first cohort teaching basic anatomy and physiology from a biblical perspective. We, of course, call that Biblical Anatomy and Physiology. And just as we would like to request prayers that you may have, we ask for your prayer in building that. We do feel that it is God's calling on our life, and we are invested in that completely. We are not employed. We are not self-employed. We are God-employed. And we strive every day to check in with Him as to what He is our CEO. And, of course, much more than that, our Creator, our Savior, our Father, what he would have us to do that day in terms of work. We know by reading in the Bible that work is good, but we want to make sure that the work that we're doing is approved by him, if you will. And so we'd like to ask for prayers of encouragement in that, in prayers of continuity in that. And we also would like to open it up for opportunities for you to request prayer. Um, we've gotten away from that. We did that in the past, but starting today, we're getting back into that. 
And uh, we're going to do that in both shows, Mondays and Wednesdays show. Monday is Biblical Anatomy. Wednesday is Discipleship Conditioning. And uh, you can email us at prayers at biblicalanatomyacademy.com. That's prayers at biblicalanatomyacademy.com. And we have that set aside for prayer requests. You can send those to us. And uh, rest assured that my family and I will pray uh, based on what you have written us. And we would love to love to see that. So again, today's benefit is the deep dive we have into the book of Matthew chapter 12 is a reminder of our mission. We bring together Christians who strive to follow the light of God over the darkness of this world to renew our mindsets through shared experience and discipleship so we can better love the Lord our God following his commandments. Start with a story as we often do. And uh, this one's kind of comical. I often think back to my teenage years and wonder why I did the things that I did, as, as many of us often do. Uh, but my question to you in terms of wise counsel and wise advice, as chapter 12 is going to have a lot to do with, is what did your parents ever tell you not to do that you did anyways? If you're like me, um, I was a single, I had a single parent household. My mother was not in the picture, but my father was, and I did have a stepmother for a period of time. Uh, but my father was my go-to source for basically all things life. And I remember him telling me uh, some of the things that he, he had done in his teenage years. And he would almost always end with, so that's why you shouldn't do it. So what did I do? That's exactly what I did. And we had a great relationship, still do, uh, even better relationship now than we've ever had. Uh, but even back then, I would uh, go back to him and I'd say, well, you know that thing you told me not to do? Well, I did it, and I did it anyways. And a lot of these stories came up in my early 20s. I, when I say I came back to him, uh, perhaps it seems like I came back to him the next week. It was years later, but as I opened up to him in my early 20s on things that I had done, it was often things that he had done that he'd learned not to do and told me not to do. And I suppose there was maybe a lack of trust or an arrogance that it would be different for me. I'm not exactly sure, but nevertheless, very smart man. And I went back to him and I said, you know that thing you told me not to do? Well, I did it and it didn't work out for me either. So that was good advice that I didn't take. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can't. Uh, if you're the type of person that can heed those words of wisdom, you were definitely and are definitely a step ahead of where I was and probably where I still am. So I struggle with that with a scientific mind and the linear thinker that I am. I feel the need far too often to try it for myself or prove things. And that's a struggle that I have with scripture and we're going to tackle today. And so keep that in mind as we're talking about this chapter and how it applies. And we'll start off with Matthew 12, 6 through 8. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Excuse me, I'm off by one. I need to back up. We're going to start with Matthew 12, 1 through 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. 
So I'll highlight the end of that. What is not lawful on the Sabbath? And a friend of mine and I were talking this morning in men's group, and he really drove home, and actually I give credit to him for the name of this particular show, this episode of the podcast, he stressed not to confuse the law with the lawgiver. And I thought that was really poignant to the specific chapter that we're on, Matthew 12, and also really poignant towards the discussion that we had this morning. And, you know, we we reference the Pharisees in these chapters, and we see clearly now how they were abiding by a law, but they didn't know the lawgiver. They didn't have a relationship with God. And for us, it's easier to see because this is all past. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, how we would have been if we were alive during that time, we're all sinners. And in those traditions, maybe too many of us would have subscribed to the law to begin with. But regardless, we live in the day and age that we live in. And it's important to recognize the law versus the law giver. I mean, how irrational is this? Um, You know, it almost, I imagine in reading this, them following Jesus, just looking for opportunities to say, oh, that's that's broken law, that's broken law. Here later on, we're going to talk about, uh, I believe it's a goat that falls into a pit is an analogy. And we'll talk about that when we get there, but just silliness silliness related to the law. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say silliness and pretend that if I wasn't born in that time that I wouldn't think differently. I have the perspective I have because of my point in history in which I exist, but be that as it may, silliness that we're looking at here on on things to point out that should occur or should not occur based on the law governing the Sabbath. Now we'll get to Matthew 12, 6 through 8. I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So this is obviously in response to the grain field, right? And and for me, I desire mercy and not sacrifice is what stands out to me most. And... I could spend the rest of my life climbing to the depths of this statement, but at this point in my life, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Why do we not sacrifice things anymore? Jesus came to fulfill this all, and he desires mercy. So, so often in churches, in just the world, we divide ourselves over a lot of times these laws. If it's Christian to Christians, a lot of times it's law-based. If it's Uh, worldly and there's a Christian and a non-Christian a lot of times it's we're better than you because we're Christians and just all this nonsense but he desires mercy if the creator of all things desires mercy what should what should we desire should we be kind should we have a little bit of sympathy if not empathy for the other people that occupy this planet with us I think far too often we reach to judgment as opposed to mercy Clearly, that's not the the sentiment that Jesus is describing here when he's talking to, uh, to the Pharisees, a group of people that were doing just the same things that we do today, but to Jesus as opposed to fellow Christians. So 
Do we care beyond ourselves? Is it more important to be right or to love? Gosh, I feel that a lot with people today. And even even myself, I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't do it. Certainly, you know that I strive to do better and I'm focused on that daily. But in my past, have I cared more about being right than really anything else, including love? Yeah, I did for sure. Right now in in my life, that seems absolutely ridiculous. And I'm thankful that it seems ridiculous because it is ridiculous. Matthew 12, 11 through 12, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. This coming from Jesus, who was Lord of the Sabbath. I I think I said goat earlier. It says sheep here, so I got that part wrong. D minus for me. Um, But can you imagine an absolute evil, whether it be animal or even worse human, where it's the Sabbath, it's Saturday, and you're walking along and you see your fellow man or a sheep in the pit and they've broken something, you're just going to walk away and leave him to die and say, sorry, bud, um, it's the Sabbath today. So, you know, maybe if you're still alive tomorrow, I'll come help you out. But, you know, the law, it's it's the Sabbath. Sorry, I can't help you. Like, too bad. Like, obviously, I'm, I'm being silly here, but that's how ridiculous it is. Matthew 12, 18 through 21 reads, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is what we opened up with. This is the title of the show, right? My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This reminds me of good job, good and faithful servant. I can't imagine a better compliment than that. If at the end of my days I get anything close to that, job well done. Now, I've done much wrong and I've been careless with my mouth in my past. So I will, as the text says here later on, I will clearly have to account for those. And my only hope is that Jesus is my attorney. But besides that, when we get to a bruised reed, he will not break and a smoldering wick, he will not quench. I want to know what your thoughts are. I'm not so certain here. I don't do really good with poetry. In about 20 years, when we get to Psalms and Proverbs, I'm going to really struggle because poetry is not my forte. And so I'd like to ask for your assistance here in your education. You can email us at podcast at discipleshipconditioning.com. Or if it's easier, you can email us at the email that we mentioned earlier for prayer requests. But what do you think about a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench? I'm not sure, but I'd like to know your thoughts. In Matthew 12, 25 through 26, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? 
The first part is no uh, first part is knowing their thoughts and it's pretty simple. Again and again and again we see evidence that God is omnipresent. They don't even have to speak this to them to him. Uh, he knows their thoughts before they even continue their thought pattern or um, announce it publicly. And then no city or house divided against itself will stand. A couple questions that I think of when I think of this is yes, I could go down a political rabbit hole here and say, is our nation in order? Clearly not. The nation is quite divided and we'll see how that turns out. A lot of people think the United States is going to fall because it's so divided against itself. Well, that's what it says, right? Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. So kind of seems like the path we're headed, but this isn't a political podcast. So we as Christians, what can we control? And that's our house. So is your house in order? Is my house in order? Those are questions that we need to answer and we need to be diligent to make sure those answers are yes. Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Pretty clear and to the point here, whoever does not gather with me scatters. And again, this points back to men's group, but I was thinking about this as writing show notes and this morning in men's group as to Christians and their level of offense versus their level of or not verses, but in addition to their level of intimidation. You know, if you know a Christian, a real strong Christian, how easy is it to offend or intimidate them? It's, it's generally, from my experience, not very easy. And why is that? Well, they know where their purpose is, who they serve. They understand that it's not about them, that life in general is a, is a, is a purpose much grander than they are. They're a part of the church. And it's not a self-centered thing. It's about others. It's a selfless thing. And so when I see or read does not gather with me, so whoever does not gather with me, so if you're gathered with Jesus, you're central, you're stable. You are not pushing yourself along the waves of this world. You are centered. You are not really running away from anything. You're at peace. True Christians most of the time don't even fear death because they know they're heading on to something better. They're ultimately stable, perhaps the most stable people on the planet. And you're not going to intimidate them very well. You're not going to offend them very well when their heart is anchored in Christ. So the alternative, scatter what we see in the world saying one thing one day, but another thing the next day, and in just an utter state of confusion. And perhaps there's no better word to describe our country in 2023 than confused. Next, we have Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruits. Here I get the sense of sort of make up your mind. Are you good or are you bad? And as we see before in previous verses, you can identify good versus bad based on the fruit that is yield. And so I, I almost sense a statement of Jesus asking the Pharisees to commit one way or the other. Are you going to be good or are you going to be bad? 
Again, I ask for your guidance and your help in dissecting this specific verse and letting me know what you feel and what you think about it. I pretend not to be a scholar, um, even though I have interests in PhDs in biblical exposition. I am not a biblical scholar at this point in time. I'm just a sinful man speaking to you and trying to relate to you in a transparent and vulnerable fashion. So I'd love to know your thoughts regarding this. I do understand that the fruit that is bared is an indication of whether the person is good or bad. Uh, and in here, to my best knowledge, I feel like he is calling out saying, what's it going to be, good or bad? In Matthew 12, 38 through 40, we see, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I, like any other person on the planet, have certainly asked God for a sign. I have certainly asked God, show me that you're with me in this instance. You hear stories about like near-death experiences and people having visions and those sorts of things. And it's evil to be jealous and, and want those things as well. But one thing I think of immediately when I hear this is a verse that we see in John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So it's pretty, pretty clear there that if we are going to request a vision or we're going to request um, something from God in order for our faith to be instilled. And, th and this is different than requesting something when your faith is, is rock solid regardless. But if you're requesting something and that is going to be something that forecasts how your faith will be, uh, I think Ma uh, John 20, 29 gives us direction there. With that in mind, if we go to Luke 16, 31, we see he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, you need to go back into Luke 16 to get more context associated with this. This is one of my favorite sections of Luke, and I suggest you go in and you read it since it's going to be, what, about a year before we get to this point as we're going week by week, but a great section of scripture and uh, there, there's, there's a lot more verses I could include there to kind of paint the whole picture, but I'll save that for when we get there. So just look into John 20 and Luke 16. And I think for me, when I read Matthew 12, 38 through 40, those two verses help me profound, profoundly on needing a sign or needing proof. And again, I'm not saying in a moment of weakness, God, give me a sign. Um, but it's not going to waver your faith one way or the other. I'm talking about asking God to prove himself to you in order for you to be faithful. And then we'll conclude here with Matthew 12, 49 through 50. And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. 
for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Again, if you read a few verses prior, they say that his mother and brothers are at the edge of the tent for him. And if you ask me who my mother and brothers are and who my earthly father is, um, we think of it in that sort of connotation, if you will. But here he says, we've got it wrong. Who are your brothers and sisters? They are your fellow Christians. They are your fellow Christians. And I've got to get credit to my wife here for a reference to the next Bible verse in conjunction with our family being the church and fellow Christians. And I know I've read through this, but I did not catch it. And she actually mentioned this about 30 minutes before I started recording here. So again, kudos to my beautiful wife. But she states from Matthew 23, 9, a verse that is very poignant. And in our discussion, she states something that connects very well with Matthew 12, 49 through 50. So in Matthew 23, verse 9, it reads, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. So that again dials down who your family is. It's not according to blood. It's according to the spirit. It's according to your establishment, your family, who you have elected to spend time with. Again, we're given free will, so we have the choice to accept or not accept. And if we've accepted, we have a new family order, and we need to act accordingly based on that family order. Just as we've always been, we are self-sponsored, biblicalanatomy.com. Please communicate with us through the emails that we've provided. I've also provided our discipleship conditioning email in the show notes if if you weren't able to write those down so you can click on that and uh, and communicate with us tips and referrals are highly appreciated the most important thing that we're directing people to and focusing at this time is our academy Uh, the number one thing is prayers for our academy that we will launch in january Uh, if you're interested in participating in the academy whether just helping or taking a course again email us we'd be happy to communicate And uh, of course, you can go to our website, biblicalanatomy.com, and we have lots of information there. So our take-home message for today, if we read something in the Bible, do we need to test it or do we have faith in it? It goes along with the story that I mentioned in the beginning of the wise counsel that I chose not to follow. Well, when it comes to the Bible, am I going to take the same approach? Am I going to say, well, let me try that on my own? Or am I going to take the wise counsel and I'm going to have ultimate faith. Again, John 20, 29, I, I believe it was. Um, yeah, John 20, 29. I have not seen physically with my eyes, but I still choose to believe. And I'm told that I will be blessed because of that. Let's conclude as we always do with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.